Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. I've always said that my roots are Indian, but my training is Virginian. So I may be an Indian, but my chef training is here. The idea was to kind of blur the lines between Indian food and Southern food and sort of come up with my own hybrid version. How do you go from call center cog in India to cake pop queen of Virginia to budding pop-up dinner doyen, all in less than 15 RVA years and without spending a dollar on marketing? Here with the story of Kia Wingfield. Stay with us. Coming up Sunday, November 10th at the National and RVA, our first live concert show, the band Not A Surf, one of my favorites, on full disclosure, followed by a full concert. Hear the stories, then hear the music. Tickets at facebook.com slash fulldradio. Join us Sunday, November 10th at the National. Full Disclosure presents Not A Surf. Joining me in studio in downtown RFVA in historic Monroe Ward is none other than Kia Desai-Wingfield, founder of Candy Valley Cake Company, uh, right up there in uh, Malvern Gardens Heights, whatever it's called, and the new Indian food pop-up called Bombay Street Food with Kia & Co., Kia, I could say that you are kind of an inveterate reinventor. You've done it so many times in the 15 or so years since you've come to Richmond. But I'm so glad that you finally walked into my studio. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, for our listeners, I want to take it back to 2005 because Richmond would never have been on your map. You're in Bombay, in Mumbai, working on the other end of the call center for Circuit City, the late great Circuit City, which was based in Richmond, Virginia. And tell me the story about how you met your Richmond counterpart. Um, I worked as a product trainer for Circuit City, and um, uh, David, my husband, uh, not then, but now, he was also a trainer for them. So that's how we met, and um, he would come to Bombay to work, and we just kind of connected that way. And that's how, uh, that's what brought me to Richmond. I do like a Hollywood screenplay version of it where yeah. he fell in love over the the, the, the line or the they phone or something. Yeah. Oh, they did make a yeah. movie on it. Yeah. Call Center Love or something. <laughs> something anyway, he shows up like, yeah. honey, I'm going to come back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go there for continuing education and make you my lawful wedded wife. <laughs> but it was longer than that. So he shows up at Kandivali in Mumbai. Correct. How long was he there in India with you? Oh, just a week. He came to meet my parents. Wait, so this was preordained before he got there that he was going to propose to you? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was already set in stone. Did you Skype or anything beforehand? We did. We had in, we had uh, intranet. You know, we had the IM, the internal messenger system that we spoke on. You 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 you. I don't know. You signed up for this over intranet. You said, "Listen, yeah. I'm I'm substantially interested in you." Yeah, it's the whole you've got mail kind of situation. So he concocted a way to go over there for whatever continuing right. education training. Yeah. This is 2005. He spends a week. Mm-hmm. And then when did you decide to move to Richmond? How did that happen? Um, I wanted to come here um, on a particular visa. So to get the visa, we had to – do you know what a fiancé visa is? No. Okay, so it's a pretty pretty crazy story. You get the – it's called Visa K or something like that. You get the visa, you come here, you have 90 days to decide whether or not you want to marry this person. So at the end of the 90 days, either you go back home or you get married. So this man, this yeah. this uh, prospective groom, was like a rent-to-own furniture. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> like a lazy boy. You don't call him your lazy boy or anything? Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it's a similar concept. But... Really? We have we have a stipulation there where it's kind of try before you buy for a fiancé yeah, visa? that's about right. And there's a show on TLC about it. It's called 90 Day Fiancé. So you I've were, done it all. <laughs> I've done it all. You were a 90-day fiancé. That's right. But you had a job offer in hand when you came here? No, but so they actually fired me for dating him. Oh. They said, you're fraternizing with a client. I didn't know what that meant. I'm like, what does that mean? So they let me go, but not him. They did not fire him. They fired me. Um, and then he said, well, since you got fired, I have to marry you now. That's so romantic. Oh, so romantic, yes. It's the end of 2005, yeah. and you resolved to come here for your 90-day try before you buy period. That's right. How does that work? It was pretty good. I came here and I moved in with his parents to kind of understand the family, see if I'm a good fit, see if they like me, uh, see what it felt like. And they just chucked me in immediately. You didn't have any worries about not having work when you came here? Oh, I did, but I was really young. And, you know, you don't worry about stuff like that when you're that young. And um, I knew I I wouldn't work the first, the, the three months I was going to be here, I knew I wouldn't be working since I was staying with his family. 
So what was the town like to you? Were you walking around trying to get your sea legs? Were you sold uh, on the man, sold on the family? Were you sold on the town? I was sold on the man and the family, the town not so much. It took a while to come around because when you come from a place like Bombay, which is New York on steroids, um, you you know, you're so used to all the people and the crowd and the, the noise uh, that when you come to a place like Richmond and everything closes at 9 p.m. and you don't see people walking on the streets and it, it's an opposite of a culture shock or a reverse culture shock for that matter. I want to tell the story yeah. of how you became the cake pop queen of Virginia, yeah. which is so unlikely because, as you told us, there you didn't even have an, an oven growing up in, right. in, in Bombay. Yeah. You didn't have any culinary training. You were decidedly call center focused. Your English is wonderful. But how did the, the cake pop idea kind of fall into your lap? Um, I have always been a foodie, and um, I wanted to get into the pastry chef arena of work. Um but I had zero experience. I'd never even seen an oven, let alone bake in one. Um, so when I moved here, there was an oven in the apartment in which we were, you know, the apartment we were renting together. Um, and I just started playing around with that. And the cake pop thing came from my need to make portion sizes, portion controlled desserts. And that's where that, that, that was born from. So who taught you? Nobody. You didn't get an apprenticeship with a bakery or with anyone no. out there? Did you see it in a window, the idea? Because, look, now it's ubiquitous, obviously. Right. You know, my little daughter sees Starbucks, and she calls it the cake pop store. It's <laughs> synonymous with cake pop. They're everywhere. Correct. Right. But this was, I mean, we had a mini cupcake phase. We had a cronut phase, you know, right. the, the bakery ebb and flow thing. I don't remember cake pops being a big part of the firmament back in 2006. No, they were not. Yeah. And, you know, when, when Starbucks picked them up, that was a validation needed to keep the product. Meaning now it's a, it's a legitimate bakery item. So how did you test initially and how did you – so you were completely self-taught on the oven, self-taught with batters Correct. and everything? I mean that's Correct. just you having time to – I don't even understand how a person does that. <laughs> it's called no sleep. And uh, But I'm a workaholic though. So, you know, it's it, – I, I rather keep going and working and keep going and working. I mean I worked until my 39th week of pregnancy. That's just, that's just how, it, how I'm built. But um, I did work at local bakeries when I started out. I got a lot of experience. I worked at one of the oldest bakeries in town. Um, where was it? Williams in Mechanicsville, uh -huh. where my husband grew up, like five minutes from there. What uh, did they do? They just took you in, you knocked and said, do you I mind was, if I... Well, no, I was their counter person. Like I was just ringing up sales. And a few weeks later, I'm like, you know, I would love to learn how to decorate cakes. And they were kind enough to let me let me in the back and show me how. And so that's how I learned. I don't think people understand when I'm talking about a cake pop, and you should go and check it out on Candy Valley Cake Pop Company. You know, Candy Valley Cake Company. These are the most intricate. I've seen you paint birds' nests. You know, the NFL football team in D.C., <laughs> which comes here for training. You paint their helmets perfectly. You did an assignment for like soft scrub bubbles. You mm -hmm. made cake pops out of the soft scrub bubbles. These are these are works of art. I'm almost afraid to eat them. I mean, you sit there and paint. You've done gluten-free cake pops. You've done yeah. vegan cake pops. Um, when did this go from being kind of something you just experimented with to being the, the commercial success that it became or having the idea uh, to ramp it up to a commercial success? It, there was no such firm thought. It just sort of took took shape. Uh, we started out, I would just make them in my apartment, in my teeny little apartment in one corner. I had a little, little area set up and I would just make them there. Uh, and I was also going to school at the time. Uh, it, was a, it was a crazy time. Where were you in school? At J. Sergeant Reynolds. I... Uh, did the whole pastry arts program. This is all post me learning how to bake. Um, mm. I'm like, okay, time to take it to the next level. Um, but it, it just kind of took shape on its own. Uh, the, I, I never imagined this would be my business. Do you remember your first order? I, I remember my first big order. What was it? It was for VCU. It was 300 K-Pops. And I spent four days making them nonstop. That was crazy. Now we can make 300 pops in six hours. With automation and the staff that you no, have? No, all hand done still. Wow. No automation. So yeah. what we try to get to is that uh, inflection point, that right, aha right. moment. Uh, we call it the hockey stick moment where right. you kind of look at each other like, honey, you know, you're know, you married by this point. Maybe we can make a commercial go at this. I imagine if you're making 300 cake pops by yourself in four days, it's not an economic assignment no matter what they paid you no, back then. No. You were looking to get a foot in the door to Correct. get exposure, to get your name out there. Right. How did this 
turn from being a kind of a hobby and a a, a self-discovery project into something much bigger. You know what I'm saying? I really want to get to that but there epiphany. But a, a very particular – there wasn't a particular point. Uh, even now, I, I haven't gotten – I don't feel that way any, uh, still. Um, but each week, we got a few extra orders, and it just kind of kept – Ramping up and ramping up and ramping up. How would the orders come in? Would people hear from social? All word of mouth. All word of mouth. So even to this date, we have not spent a dollar advertising. That's what blows my mind. Yeah, that's that's the beauty of this town. You've not spent a dollar advertising a decade into this business almost. And that's how I first learned about you. Props to uh, John Newman of the Hodges Partnership, the PR firm. He saw you at a PR uh, mix, mix and match, mix and greet event. And you were very good about showing up there and talking to your company and getting the name out and kind of getting earned media, not paid media. Correct. And I remember you had parlayed that initial buzz into a Kickstarter campaign when you had to ramp up and when you had to buy the bakery, which is now on Lafayette Street, I believe, in Mm -hmm. Malvern Gardens, you put out an appeal on Kickstarter. Tell me how that worked. Uh, Kickstarter was needed because we did not have an oven. We did not have tables. We did not have shelves. uh, I do not have anything. We were renting a kitchen, uh, which is very expensive to do. Using a commercial kitchen? Correct. And uh, so we put together a Kickstarter campaign and we uh, gathered $20,000 in a month. And each and every person who donated towards the Kickstarter is a customer, each and every single one of them. What's involved in that? That's a, you know, we've done that here with um, Ironclad Coffee, which he did a Kickstarter to have his location up in um, right. Shaco Bottom. You know, if you look at it from the perspective of a cold-eyed investor, what is their return on their investment? Is it psychic? Is it like, I helped I helped a business that's important to me stay in business? Are they getting anything else in it? I mean, no. I know it's a mercenary calculation. But... Yeah, it's hard to say because everybody has a different motivation for it. I, I've also donated to very many Kickstarter programs, uh, some because I want to support a particular business, some because I see some potential in them, some because out of, you know, charity, uh, um, out of heart, you know, so I, I'm not sure. So the appeal was that, we look, we need to ramp up this business. It's Correct. been tremendously successful since we took that first order at VCU. We've, I mean, you had NFL training camp here. I've seen you do work for Bon Secours. I've seen mm-hmm. you do, did you paint the ones for Russell Wilson at Collegiate? I did. The, yeah, the Super just, Bowl helmets? They were for him, yes. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, I love I mean, it. These are very intricate. Yeah. Every high end, pretty much you go up and down the mid-Atlantic and any high end cake pop you see is Kia Wingfields. And the, <laughs> the amazing thing to me is like you ask, why is this person on full disclosure? Why, Farzad, are you interested? And, you know, one week you're having a diplomat on. One week it's a CEO. <laughs> then the next week it's Kia Wingfield and her cake pop project. Because, like I said, it's like making love out of nothing at all. You made something out of nothing at all. You No yeah. marketing spend. Look, I'm the low man on the totem pole. You know, the kind of people you get here, I I am not in, in that realm whatsoever. And yet, madame, I genuflect <laughs> before you and have you on our fine show. <laughs> it's because you're kind-hearted. In this rarefied you're studio. Um, but I think I got through all these years because of this community. There is, there is no hiding that fact. Uh, and obviously, to the credit of my family, who just never-ending support. You come here at the end of 2005. You're like, right. what's up with this town? Everything shuts down at yeah, 9 o'clock. So have the man of your dreams after the 90-day try before you buy, period. <laughs> then you steep yourself in cake pops, go to culinary school. Now you're telling me less than a decade and a half later that thanks to this town because there is something yes. about it. I mean, if you do go to the south of the James Farmer's Market on a Saturday, everybody there knows each other. Right. We've had RVA dying people on this show before where right. even chefs that are in competition with one another right. help one another. Uh, Sugar Shack Donuts, for example, the other yeah. country style donuts loaned him flour when he was starting. It's not like they wanted that. to that set is, the business on fire. That's Richmond for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's the true spirit. Plus, look, you have to understand I'm a single woman immigrant owned business. Um, I did not have any seed money. I did not have any collateral that I could go to a bank. I didn't own a thing. I still don't. So, I had to rely on this town, you know, and they were really kind enough to lift me up and let me live my dream. How did you get any capital to begin with? Like when you start experimenting, yes, there's there's yeah. pocket change, there's savings and everything, but at some point you have to ramp up, right, for right. property, plant, equipment, what right. um, um, work in progress, all of this stuff. How do, for example, do you take that order from VCU? Do you take the money up front and then? We take the money up front because in, luckily in food business, you get paid. Um, before the food is consumed. Mm-hmm. So um, every pretty much 99% of 
of the money that I made went back into the business. And that's just how I stayed afloat. I still don't have any loans besides a Kickstarter. There, There's no outstanding debt. The Kickstarter was a $20,000 infusion. Correct. You were able to get initial money, what, for a lease? Uh, for, for the oven, oven uh, tables, shelves, all that. The lease, we were, I was able to manage on my own. When was there enough money coming in the door to hire staff? From day one, honestly, um, a few months into this, I hired my first uh, assistant. And um, from there, it again, just kind of, there was always a need because we're still making everything by hand. So I always had to budget for labor. Wow. Um, I want to get a sense for how big the business has become. I mean, you don't have to completely disclose numbers, but now relative to, you know, a number of customers you have, number of cake pops you churn out daily, the volume of the business, plans for expansion into other cities, just to give us a sense Mm -hmm. versus, let's say, 2006, and you were experimenting with five or six cake pops in that order from VCU. Um, I think we have a pretty good – we we set up we have a market and we have customers who come back time and again. Uh, for example, when we do weddings, you know we do their siblings' weddings. We'll do when they have babies. You know we'll do baby showers. We'll do so families who work with us. That's set in stone, luckily. Um, and if you secure your local market, it, it goes in a long way to have longevity in, in a business. So we have the local market. Uh, I, I think I can safely say back in 2006, we were maybe making a few dozen pops a week to an average of five to 600 a week now. Hmm. So that's been the trajectory. And these are not, you don't take commodity orders. I mean, they have to be kind of painted or bespoke. Everything is custom made, correct, to this day. Can people walk into the shop on Lafayette Street and buy yeah. something or it's pretty much you need to go to Elwood's and where correct. else is it available? Elwood's, Sticky Rice also uh, has them on their menu for <laughs> us. Uh, there are a few other small cafes and uh, candy shops that, that buy them every now and then. But everything we make is made to order. And talk to me about the region, plans for expansion. Uh, we're hoping to, uh, now that we have a good stronghold here, we're hoping to go into uh, neighboring markets like Charlottesville and Fredericksburg and D.C. Uh, and see if there's a need or if there is a good fit for us. You would really take a crack at D.C.? Absolutely. Well, wouldn't I? What would you do? I mean, how, how does that even work? Do you go over there and use a commercial kitchen in D.C. or do you hub and spoke it out of your Lafayette Correct. We work here? out of here and try and uh, You try to break source. into like a Harris Teeter or a... Uh, no, uh, grocery stores have never been my market. Uh, we're more custom than that. So we are going to try and aim for just just like a Richmond, an extension of the Richmond market. So private private orders. Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. You are listening to Kia Desai-Wingfield, uh, the erstwhile cake pop queen of Virginia. She's founder of Candy Valley Cake Company right here in Malvern Gardens. She is now starting, as we speak, Bombay Street Food, the pop-up with Kia and Co. Uh, I will get to that. Um, But I want to get a sense for everything else that happened with you professionally and personally um, since you came here. I mean, it's been been an interesting journey. You, you know, Kia Wingfield winged it. You did it without marketing. You did it on the generosity and the persistence of your customers. And I've seen you come out of the woodwork. You're very active on Instagram and social media. And all of a sudden last year, you're starting to post pictures of incredible concoctions that you've made at home. For example, a chana... Chana masala cinnamon roll, roll of yeah. sorts that you made. Yeah. And then I screen grab it and send it to my Indian friends. I was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like, how is, I mean, you, you talked to me offline and you said that cooking had become therapy yes, to you. Talk to right. me about that. I lost my parents. I lost my mom eight years ago, my father two years ago. And um, losing my dad was rough because he was... He was basically an extension of who I am, and he, 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 was, a, he was my close friend. So um, I used to block myself up in the kitchen, spend an hour or so, cook something, uh, and then take pictures of it. Because my mother was a phenomenal cook, and my father was a phenomenal photographer. So that was just my way of channeling them. Um, so I started making food, and it sort of um, became really, really soothing for me to do that. Uh, on a daily or weekly basis, I would make something and post it and talk about it. And it, it kind of went a long way in helping me cope. Um, so cut to now. Um, I've always said that my roots are Indian, but my training is Virginian. So I may be an Indian, but my chef training is here. So 
the idea was to kind of blur the lines between Indian food and Southern food and sort of come up with my own hybrid version. Mm. So um, you've just been doing this in the kitchen. How, again, did the culinary school uplift you into that where you started getting into savory things? I mean, it's one thing to experiment by yourself, having never had an oven with the cake pops, expanding that, getting an apprenticeship in the store, seeing how to paint things. Mm. How do you go from that to kind of savory and emulsifiers um, and butters and yeah. clarified butter. Because the thing is, uh, 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 unfortunately, no, the school was not a catalyst to that. I've always been in the kitchen. I've always done these things. I just never talked about them. But you never had an oven in India. No, um, but not baking, but cooking. If you're talking about the savory part of it, uh-huh. that's always been there. It's always been in the background. So when you were in mourning and when you taught me you wanted to seek therapy, as you said, you steeped yourself in... Rices, lentils, yep. creams. Turmeric. Yes, ghee. Talk to me about those dishes. What are the first dishes, the breakthrough dishes? Nothing specific, but have you heard of kichri? Mm-hmm. Do you know what that is? So that, that is soul food. And it's it's just, it's really simple. It's yellow lentils, it's rice, it's garlic, and ghee, lots of ghee. Mm. And you cook it all together, and it, it just, it fills your soul. Um, it's kind of started there. Was there something that reminded you of your mom more than any other oh, dish? Oh, yeah. Th- that one, for sure. It, because it's like a hug from her. What about your husband, Dave Wingfield, who since, interestingly enough, I mean, you know, Circuit yeah. City, we forgot to mention Circuit City goes <laughs> under during the financial crisis. See, it was right. 2008, 2009, completely disappears. Mm-hmm. Whoosh, and then Dave Wingfield reinvents as a comedian. He was on tour with the late Charlie Murphy, who you remember right. from the Dave Chappelle show. Um, and so it's interesting how you both reinvented that way. But... I want to know how this Indian food thing accelerated more. We've seen quite a renaissance in Indian food, I think, since the time you came. There's this one restaurant in Carytown that keeps advertising itself as Richmond's first Indian restaurant. You know, it must have been such a curiosity, like right there on Cary Street. But then Sunny Boeja, obviously with um, uh, Leja, I say it's always sunny and short pump. Uh, Lemon Cuisine of India, which a lot of people – you know, downtown and Broad Street and the fan like yeah. to go to. There's Anoka. There are a handful of places that pop up. There's Malabar. But I don't think we've we've yet had, uh, you know, a true kind of day-in, day-out breakthrough. I've been to Tulsi in Carytown, which is very right. good. Yeah. I mean, we have some great chefs here, Indian chefs. Uh, but I'll tell you, it's a pet peeve. Curry Craft failed in Curry Carytown. Craft, you know, they're reinventing. They're coming back. Yeah. I, I hear. I hope. Um, but uh, I... I really hate calling it Indian food. I'm, I'm not a fan of the terminology because it's food and it's it's what I know. And um, I want it to be global and I don't want it to be just one particular thing. Well, isn't it said that tikka masala is the national dish of the UK? Of UK, yeah, that's Butter right. chicken? Butter chicken and chicken tikka masala. Like you, yeah. And some of the best food you'll find there is in UK, Indian food. But uh, in restaurants, when you go and look at the menu, you're going to see naan and you're going to see a tikka masala of some kind. I'm trying to introduce what Indian food really is, which is not just that. You know, we did have uh, another interesting player here. I believe I told you when I met you years ago was this character Market Cafe in the gas yeah. station on <laughs> Knuckles and Cox, yes. which serves an incredible biryani. Mm-hmm. And there, there were many Capital One workers and quants who kind of turned this I gas station. It. Yeah. it has a keg refrigerator. You wouldn't expect to find it <laughs> there in the middle of Innsbruck, but right. it does. And then and then we do have our kind of informal curry row, like Old West, not, what is it called? Old Parham Road. Old Parham Road, yeah. With the uh, two bakeries Correct. or three bakeries or yeah. so. So there's the cash and carry market. There's the Bhavani cash and carry. There's Maya Mart. That's right. Um, You know, it has become quite an important demographic. Even you talk to Abby Spamberger, anybody running for office here. We're going to have her on in a few weeks is that the Indian American community has really established itself in central Virginia. Correct. You know, within uh, within a square mile, there are six Indian grocery stores. Go figure. There's that much of a presence. And I met a Tiffin Walla, a woman who, an older woman. Right. A Gujarati woman who actually fills these stackable tin things every Sunday and yeah. delivers them to the workers of of West Henrico County, of Which Capital so One bombing. and Carmax and these yeah. other places. Yeah. These 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 immigrants who long for their homemade Home cooking. Food, I mean, for my part, I go to Northern Virginia and bring Persian food. I found 
an Iranian woman who works at the Walmart here near me in Henrico County who said, I can totally cook up a storm for That's you. Amazing. And these are the connections yeah. that we have. Like I'm I'm homesick and I love these things. And right. it's, it's a way of connecting Correct. back with my parents and my heritage. And I think it's so beautiful how you've, how you've reconnected that tie back to your mom. And now we're talking about Bombay street food with Kian Co., this insurgent, this pop-up. Like a modern version of it. Well, tell me yeah. how it's coming together. It's doing good. Uh, this is my first pop-up uh, on Thursday. It's a private pop-up, and just we're inviting a few people and getting a feel for what they what they think. Um, we're, I'm going to do one at Elwood Thompson's at the end of the month. Uh, going to talk more about the street food and how we can modernize it to suit the American palate. So is it street food? It's like a Punjabi daba? No, it's very different. It's a, it's a street hawker who's making one particular item, and he makes it really well. That, that's, that's Bombay street food. Uh, things like a Frankie. A Frankie is a, is a roll. Uh, it's like a flatbread. That, that there's fillings in there of potatoes or paneer or chicken or what have you. And that is quintessential Bombay. So that's the idea. What is the model of a pop-up? I've always been fascinated by it. So a person, you could talk to Sarah Choi and others who've worked with pop-ups in this town, doesn't necessarily have to take on the lease and the staff and everything. You can go so incrementally into an idea and iterate and experiment and ask friends and family. It's like the softest of soft opens. Oh, that's true. And it's very flexible because it allows you to create a, a very easygoing menu. It allows you to have control over how much and how many people. And um, it, it's not as hard as a restaurant. You know, restaurant work is very hard. So pop-ups are, uh, I think they were born from the need of, you know, for chefs to kind of experiment and play a little bit. Have you tried it super soft yet, like doing it just for friends and family inside your kitchen or at your, um, say, your husband's family's house? Not yet. So this is really the first leap. The very first. But you have baited all of us with these incredible Instagram photos. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> I hope I can live up to some of it. How many dishes? What does it take? You're not using a commercial kitchen yet. There are 15 people who have RSVP'd so far. Correct. Tell me about it. I'm going to be cooking some of it at home and then some of it at our studio. Um, I'm trying to bring my staff up to speed on Indian food because they, they don't know the ingredients and they don't know the terminology. So I have to kind of introduce them first to it. Um We'll see how it goes. You know, we have a, we have a pretty pretty intense menu for Can Thursday. Can you tell us what you're going to roll out? And then, and, and so you have six Indian markets, like you said, yeah. within a very easy radius to you. True, here. very true. Um, do you know what pani puri is? Yes. Okay. But tell our listeners. We're going to have so pani puri is like a crispy puffed, uh, cr- I guess a cracker, I believe, but it's a puffed, it's a puffed cracker, and that's filled with fillings, mm-hmm. and then it's dunked in this minty water, like ice cold water. And then you just eat it like that. Um, in, in Bombay, if you go to the street the version of it, you stand right there and the hawker will make it for you and give you one one after the other, like fresh, freshly made. So we're going to do a live Pani Puri station at the pop-up. Mm. Yeah, it's going to be really fun. And what else? We're making Frankie because mm-hmm. people have got to know about what a Frankie is. Um, we're making some achari. Uh, do you know what achar is? So we're mm-hmm. making some achari pimento cheese because, again, I want to marry my southern training into my Achari pimento cheese. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's that's the idea. It's like Henrico by Hindustan. There you go. That's there what you, you could go. call it. <laughs> that's a good idea. <laughs> that's a good title. Innsbruck yeah. by India. Innsbruck by India. We're making paneer meatballs. We're doing um, just something you will not see at an Indian restaurant. Let's put it that way. They say, the consultants who show up in the movie office space, what exactly is it that you're trying to do? I mean, is this is this you going off and experimenting? Is this you maybe having in the back of your head that this could hockey stick into a bigger thing? Pop-ups become ever bigger, maybe right. a food truck, maybe a delivery service. The world of restaurants right now is so confusing Correct. in that um, a lot of these restaurants that already have infrastructure are finding that a majority of their business is getting sucked out by Uber Eats or Postmates. Correct. They don't need the infrastructure. If anything, you can use an anonymous kitchen in a warehouse somewhere That's and just right. send it all yeah. to the drones. Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting time to test drive this. What is what is in the in your mind's eye like your end goal? Um, I just want to step away from the mold and from the cutter that is Indian food. I want to step away from that. I want to be able to provide a fresh perspective on what it is um, and create a hybrid cuisine of sorts. Um, I don't really see restaurant in my future. Um, I don't see a food truck 
I see a very niche space, just like a cake pop. This is kind of my Indian cake pop, if you will. Um, cake pop was a very different kind of a item to bring to the market. So this is kind of the same effort. But how does it work? Some, suppose somebody at this invite-only PR event says, yeah. oh, my gosh, I love it. Do a, a catered event for 50 people for yeah. me. And we'll You'd do pounce it. on that? Absolutely. And then assess afterwards what I want to do with this? Correct. It's, it's how the cake pop thing came along was I just did not say no, period. I did not say no to anything. So if we got a custom order, we took it. If we got a wholesale order, we took it. And then we sort of learned what works and what doesn't. So there has to be a period of experimenting and learning what will work and what won't. So if somebody at the pop-up goes, I want, um, I want, uh, you know, have a Panipuri station at my wedding, we'll do it. I want, uh, we're making chicken, butter chicken Pop-Tarts. And somebody says, I want to order 36 of them for my party, we'll make them. We make food, we want to feed people uh, in whatever capacity or whatever channel. Now, what I want to get in the mind of the cake popstress, if you will, or the pop-up cake popper, whatever we <laughs> call you, pop, pop, pop goes the world. All good. Um, does it have to be economic at this point? This is what the entrepreneur person, it's very easy for, you know, and you've lectured at Sarge. You've now taught courses, right? right. This, is, this has been an amazing turnaround. Like I've heard from your students. That's right. Um, do they, does someone might want to say you have to have an economic discipline at the very outset? Every engagement must be profitable. Every engagement must be at least break even or must result in a bigger engagement, thereby building your profitability, your volumes. You're not looking at that that way. I have never had looked at it that way. Even with the cake pop business, uh, money was never the goal. The goal was to make something good that people will come back for. And, um, you know, food Food is a very personal experience. When I feed you something, I'm, I'm making a promise of sorts. Uh, so money doesn't always enter that, uh, that particular idea. Um, of course, we need to make money. We, it's a business. I have staff to pay. I have to buy ingredients. Um, and it makes – and it does that. But the, but the most important part is the quality, the standard, uh, and the experience. That's more important than saying, okay, I just want to make money. And when you have Kia and Co, talk to me about the variableization of staff with this. How does that even work? Uh, right now, it's just me. Hmm. It's just me experimenting and playing around with recipes and new ideas. Uh, my brain is constantly on. Suddenly, I feel like I'm reliving my time in Bombay, hmm. you know, in Richmond, in the setting of Richmond. I'm with in your mom, it seems. Yeah, with, with both of them. At my, they're, they're with me every second. And so when you do something like a cake yeah. pop chicken, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, chicken, yeah, butter chicken pop tart, yeah. Butter chicken pop tart. Yeah, yeah. Like you keep saying Kia and code Kia 3.0. That's, you're right about that. So yeah, there was the Kia 1.0, the, yeah. call, center <laughs> the call center person there. Person. The, the, yeah. You know, the accidental cake pop guru. And this is the, the 3. Kia 3.0. This is yeah. an interesting iteration. And I think it would yeah. have been fascinating to have interviewed you right when you got here and you were taking this risk. You know, the dawn of podcasts yeah. and whatnot. But now I feel like it's an opportune time because RVA Dine is clearly established. This town has Correct. such a verve. There's a very rapid fire, you know, innovating, failing, coming back, picking That's up right. from others where others left off. Yeah. We talked about Currycraft and Currytown. Um, I like how you're taking this uh, – this, this seasoned approach, kind of this vulnerable approach. You didn't come in the gate with big plans for me and say that, oh, I'm going to have a cooking book and two restaurants <laughs> and short pump by year three. No, who can plan anything in this life? You know, what what can you plan, really? It's your craft is important. You make good food. And if people can remember you by that, that's that's a win. Full disclosure, you're listening to Kia Desai Wingfield, founder of Candy Valley Cake Co. Uh, right here in Malvern Gardens. Uh, between Richmond and Henrico County. And uh, the new pop-up startup is Bombay Street Food. Uh, have your fingers crossed for it with Key & Co. It launches here the first week of August uh, in downtown RVA. Um, I want to get into the conversation of the big life-changing thing that happened for you. And I just held your daughter. <laughs> By the way, everyone, just like the, you have to see a picture. You can see it on your Instagram <laughs> feed. She's like a human Cinnabon. Mm. Um, and this this put everything else in sharp relief for you because you're doing a lot of this experimentation and the ramp up of Bombay Street food at the time that you're a new first mother. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Honestly, I feel like now everything I do, and this sounds so cheesy, but I'm doing it for her. Absolutely everything I do is for her. I want her to see that an immigrant, a single woman, 
can achieve anything if you work hard enough and if you have the right uh, attitude towards things. I worked all through my pregnancy. I worked when she was born. I enjoy it. I want to instill that ethic in her, too. And I can only do that by example. So she's there asleep when you're cooking up a lot of these things? All awake, yeah. Ideally, I like when she's sleeping, I sneak in some time here and there. But sometimes I strap her in a high chair and kind of talk to her while Talk I'm to me about some of the other consultants you sought out in this town, the friends, people who share notes with you. You talked to us about Christina Dick, yeah. for example, the, yeah. the foodie publicist. Um, how does this work? Who's sharing notes with you? Who's helping you in this next experiment? So Christina is very instrumental in setting up this pop-up. She is the one getting people there. Um, Christina is just one of those people who's your staunch cheerleader. Like, she wants you to succeed, and I want her to succeed. And um, I think the two of us are going to try and achieve something out of this. So she's a brand center professor part-time, oh, yeah. yes. She is. She is very established. She has her marketing firm. That's right. And then you guys were huddling about launching the pop-up together? Correct. And uh, we... We'll hopefully try and do more venues going forward, a couple of different places, and see where this can go. Um, she is, um, I think, helping me out of the kindness of her heart. Um, and uh, the first one is at her office. What do you think when you see somebody like a Sunny Bawija get national attention here at a short pump for Leja? I mean, he's a James Beard nominee. A James Beard nominee. Gets so I'm much insane. press in all of all of the yeah. publications. We now have, you know, I'd say when I, when I left Manhattan, people were like, oh, you're never going to eat good Chinese food again, never going to have yeah. good pizza, never going to have good Indian food. So I got Sonny Bawija and Peter Chang like a block apart from each other. That's right. Isn't that and crazy? And it's yeah. crazy food. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very privileged to have it here, but it also really ups the game and it right. really ups – the palette of everybody who you're attracting to your events. You know, I don't know if I'm in the same arena as him. I think I'm more off the beaten path kind of person um, because I don't see a restaurant in my future or I don't see a very traditional route to do something. I want to do something different in the sense of just kind of follow my creative instincts and go accordingly. So Sunny has achieved something really amazing and he's setting the path uh, hopefully for People like me who, who are, you know, creating a space where I can dare to make some different Indian food. Because people now know Leisure. And um, now I can say, I can talk more, you know, people more accepting of learning about it. Hmm. What are some of the other things behind the scenes? If you're sharing notes with us, if we had you in here mentoring a person out of the gate um, who wants to start in food service or small biz restaurant stuff. I mean, what are the things you wish you had known what are the things you wish people had told you 10, 15 years back? Um, I'm always fascinated by that kind of stuff. And we are going to start some sort of mentoring series where – Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, we've had before, you know, Kendra Feather yeah, uh, on with brilliant. a person yeah. who was starting a, a, a food delivery business. And right. it kind of was like a blind date where they talked to each other. And I think That's that cool. yeah. it would be so valuable for you to share that info with a lot of these people out of the gate. I don't know if anybody could have told me anything that would have – changed anything. I think um, you have to have a huge streak of crazy to want to be in the food business because it takes everything out of you and it is, you, you're married to it. Um, you have to live it, breathe it, think of it every second because um, there's a lot of competition for sure. It can also be very jaded because the kind of market it is and uh, persistence very important to uh, and also um, to fail. You must fail. And failure is so important. Not that it's easy. We always read well, these no. things in Fast Company about yeah. oh my favorite failures and whatnot. They have they, to by definition they have no, to. No, I hated all my failures. They're annoying and <laughs> you know I I I I was gut gut wrenching. You know when you fail at something, but if I hadn't failed, I wouldn't have the insight I do now. It's important. It's not fun but it's necessary. Is there a chance that this graduates into a commercial kitchen project? It, what happens? I want to know could. the what ifs. I, you know, I One, would two, love... three, four of these things, they become bigger and bigger. They get a buzz. And you know how these things work. Somebody profiles you in Style Weekly. You're already a known quantity or the Sarge comes back. There's a huge culinary <laughs> sc school that they're rebuilding out yeah, there in the food desert. Right. Um you know, things can can there's a much more of a multiplier effect now than there was when you were starting Candy that's, Valley. That's very true. Um, I, I would love to do a book someday. I would love to have a, a some kind of a TV space someday. Um, 
where I can kind of continue talking about my hair brand ideas of Indian food. But um, I'm, I'm just not a planner in that sense. I like to kind of let it morph on its own and make its own kind of way. Hmm. So it's hard for me to say, but like I said, we will take what comes down the pike and then make something off it based on that. You're listening to Full Disclosure. I'm Robin Farzad. This show airs on uh, the newly christened VPM News on 88.9 in the RVA, uh, formerly 88.9 WCV News. We're super excited about everything that's going on. You can hear us on Saturdays at 6 p.m., Sundays again at 8 o'clock, always on NPR.org and on iTunes at FullDRadio.com. And I'd love to tell you about this huge event coming down the pike for us. A first, our very first concert show with the band Nada Surf, November 10th at our own national here in Richmond, Virginia. The band that's now in its 25th year out of New York tells the story of becoming huge out of nowhere, being the it band on MTV in the mid-90s, getting dumped by its record label, regrouping, getting a beaten-up van, touring the country, raising enough money to release and burn its follow-on CD and and the lessons learned throughout all that. It's a fascinating story. You're going to hear their stories. You're going to hear a full concert. Sunday, November 10th at the National, live recording with full disclosure and concert by Nada Surf. You could find tickets at facebook.com slash radio at the National. You can go to nadasurf.com. Definitely don't miss it. Sunday, November 10th. Join us. I'm here in studio with Kia Wingfield, the cake pop queen of Richmond, you're going to increasingly know her for her Frankies, these puff crackers. I mean, the the Pop-Tarts that are going to have savory fillings. If this pop-up works wonderfully and I have high hopes for it, Bombay Street Food with Kia & Co. Close me out, Kia, in the 10 minutes or so left. What should I be asking you? I mean, there is this wonderful lesson and you kind of, you know, you winged it without marketing. And there's something to be said for that in the people we've had on with you know, with Ian Kelly of Sugar Shack and other people who have been just ninjas of social media marketing, ninjas of opportunism, of, of being able to get in and have other people tell their stories. Like when I first heard about you and the fact that Candy Valley is named after Ken Divoli, I can't tell you how much press I gave you at cocktail parties just telling the story. <laughs> and it seems like you're really leaning into that. This is the kind of town that people will barter with you. People will, you know, do it in a non-transactional manner. Talk to me about right. that. Um, I think you're right. And, you know, with Canco, um, I'm hoping I'm given the same opportunity to do something different and be able to create my own market. Uh, you know, I would love advice from people like Sunny and um, uh, maybe they can guide me a little bit on um, what this looks like to them. Because I, I, I don't see Sunny making china masala rolls you know he he is a is a traditional classic chef um i am not by any stretch of the imagination i'm more of a um this is crafty let's try this kind of a person so i i would love some feedback on what they think about it and what are the other lessons within marketing that i kind of want to know if somebody comes to you and says you know at one of your classes at, at the sarge yeah and just tell me straight up on marketing don't talk about cooking don't talk okay. about uh, pastry method or any of these things? What are some of the, the tricks of the trade? I mean, this is a time of yeah. mass disruption. Time was you have to take a newspaper ad out or a radio ad on FM radio. It's it's really a different time right now. You have it Instagram is. at your disposal. That's right. You have Facebook. You work the Instagram stories well. You mm -hmm. work Facebook. What else is going on with this? How is, how is this going to be won and lost? Um, Instagram is very instrumental, uh, but you have to make uh, – you have to come up with quality content. Very important, and you save um, some of the uh, in behind the scenes stuff with stories, and then you come up with good content for your feed, for your main feed. Uh, important to do that. Uh, invest in a good camera. Learn about lighting. Take pretty pictures because food, you know, you eat with your eyes first, so it's important to have it be presented well. All that is important, but you know, kind of connect with the community. Talk to people like you who, you know, know everything about this town and can can give you the right advice on who to speak to and where to go and uh, do some local um, do some local pop ups. Um, reach out to your local culinary school and see if you can get interns from there. And th things things like that are helpful. What else? Keep feeding that. I want to know, like, who are who are the influencers in this economy? I mean, I can um, see, you know, there. I, I did our first event with Young House Love. Yes. Right, who are huge on social huge. and have a yeah. huge name for themselves. And yeah. I found that 
a lot of their art, most ardent fans that showed up were mommy bloggers yeah. who just wanted to kind of uh, um, traffic in Instagram promotion and everything. Right. They didn't want – they expected free. They didn't want to pay to get in to see a thing. Right. But they could sell you more and more exposure. Yeah. I mean at some point you have to make a buck. You do. You do. But so let me ask you. You know, you you, you love that I made those – the chana masala rolls, right? Who do you think is going to buy that from me? Is it going to be Indians? Is it going to be – the American Indians, like who, who's my market? I, I'm trying to understand myself. Well, I have a friend from Amritsar who yeah. came from, you know, worked at Google, who came here. He's been on the show before. Mm-hmm. And I immediately screen grabbed it and sent it to him. Yeah. And there are enough people in this town that love straight up Indian food okay. that will go nuts for, yeah. you know, these borderline rednecky creations that you make, like the Pop-Tarts <laughs> and yes, the cinnamon yeah. rolls. Yeah. Um, but that, that, I don't know what it is. It kind of lends itself to, OMG, I have to share this. Check it out. See, that's the goal right there. It has to be, like my brother keeps saying, you know, with food, it has to look like something somebody wants to eat. It, you have to have the feeling of, oh, I, I want to try that. You know, oh, my God, that looks good. And he's right on about that. You know, the, so every picture I take or everything I make um, kind of starts with, what do I really want to eat? You know, what would be cool? What would be fun? And that's kind of how the experimentation starts. But it's hyper, hyper transparent. I mean, you're showing us in this Instagram series a slab of dough, like, OMG, what am I doing? Oh, my gosh, <laughs> is this a regret? Yes. Yeah. What am I doing? And then the, yeah. the, the chana or the chole, you know, on the side and yeah. then it coming together and everything and turning into this beautiful concoction. And on top of that, you're a very adept photographer. I try. Right? To honor your <laughs> yeah. late father as right. well. Like right. to, yeah. It's a bit of an inspector gadget. Right. Ability to cook, to photo shoot it, it's a to lot. post it. Uh, to stop and take pictures and then kind of put it together. It's a lot of effort that goes into it. But you brought up a good point about transparency. Uh, I think is really, really important. Um, as important it is to put up a good image and a pretty picture, it is very important to talk about what's behind the pretty picture so that there isn't that whole the whole Instagram life kind of, because I see a lot of comparing going on. I see a lot of, well, this person has it all together and that person has this. And it's, that's not it. I think we're all struggling and we're all just trying to um, find something pretty or fun and something that gets going. Who are some of the people that have reached out to you specifically over Insta? I'd love to know. So many and so different, uh, really varied kind of people. I actually had somebody email me and order the chana masala rolls. He's like, I don't know if this is for real, but I want some. It was hilarious. And he lives in India. How would you go about doing that? I can't. <laughs> I emailed him back. I'm like, dude, that's so cool. But I, I can't send it to you. He's like, man, that looks so good. And I have this association. And then he told me all about what it meant to him. Because bun chana or chana with bread is like this big thing. And uh, it was very cool for him to reach out to me. In my wildest dreams, I wouldn't imagine connecting like that with somebody. And then, and then one of the, some of the people locally said, oh, I would feature this just on spec? Just on spec, <clears throat> just because it's something different. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, Kira, who I was on here with. Uh, oh, Kira uh, Sadell. Yes, yeah. yeah. She's loving everything I'm posting. Uh, um, she's a big Indian food fan, and she's like, this looks cool. Like, I love the pictures, and I like what you're trying to do. Let me ask you kind of in that you talk about therapy and in a therapist sense. What is it? And I'm going to get super hokey, and my editors <laughs> might pull in the rope on this and say, Farzad, what are you doing? You're fired. But what is it about us, Kia, that we want to help each other? What is it that I came here, you know, and I'm going to turn the mirror back on myself. Like when I was in New York, it was decidedly keep your eyes down. Don't make contact in the subway. Get up the steps, go in Grand Central, you know, get back to your kid. It's every man and woman for himself. And I came here at a time in 2012, seven years ago, exactly like this week, when we all kind of found each other in this town and started helping each other. And I remember meeting someone who told me, if I help you up it's up your game, you're upping Richmond's game, you're upping my game, everybody's game is upped. Right. I know it sounds so hokey, but we just keep giving into that. We keep giving think... into that because there's a there's a feeling that it works. Like there's so many favors you could call in this town, or so many people that would help you on spec. True. Or so many people that would connect you. Yeah. Is it is it peculiar to this town? I think it's um maybe. To a certain extent, I feel like it's true. But I think people like to see somebody working hard and trying to do something. And they appreciate that and they want to support that. I think that goes a long way. Um, I, also because you're different. You know, I'm, I'm different. I'm not 
like the regular blogger or, um, you know, I don't have a Pinterest page full of um, aesthetically pleasing furniture and this and that. But but the thing is that we're we're kind of different people and we're trying to fit in, but at the same time um, creating our own little market, you know. So I think people appreciate that. I, I, I don't it's not as bad as people make it sound. Is there any chance at all we're going to see you at the south of the James Farmer's Market with the Frankie's fillings and the like? I could nah. see those on a crisp autumn morning, like <laughs> people snapping those up. You're a mother. I mean, do you have any interest in getting up early Saturday morning and no, doing that? No, I have zero interest getting up early. I hate waking up early. I'm such a, I'm such a night owl that I would rather – if there was a night market that was selling at 2 a.m., I'll be there. But I can't get up at 6 a.m. It's too much. But although the baby wakes up early, but I try to. Um yeah, but if, again, if there's interest, you know me, I will try. So you're not going to allow this, uh, suppose Bombay Street Food with Kia and Co. becomes all the pop-up rage. You're not going to let this hub and spoke into a full-fledged restaurant. It's not something you could see yourself doing. Not really. I, I don't see that happening. I, I think the model of a restaurant may not be conducive to doing something different every week. So that's kind of limitation to me. And lastly, have you looked into a food truck? Didn't you try to Kickstarter some sort of um, cart or truck or bike thing years uh, ago for I had Candy a Valley? Cart. Yeah, I had a cart for food uh, for Candy Valley that... Because um, this kind of thing, I mean, yeah. I was just at a sunflower festival in Mannequin that this dairy farm had, and they were selling all sorts of things on a stick. Corn dogs I can't believe I've ever seen. Like, you know, this, this, is, this, this is street food. This could be carnival food. It could be, uh, but I'm trying to elevate it a little bit. We'll see. We'll see what people are how people are responding to it and what feedback I'm getting. Um, it kind of it kind of shows itself where it should belong. Once you start making it, once you start putting it out in the world, it makes its own way. Kia Wingfield, you've made your own way. You can go your own way, as Sleetwood Mac put it. Uh, I cannot thank you enough, Kia Wingfield. The, thank you. The the longstanding cake pop goddess queen of oh, Richmond, Virginia, <laughs> founder of Candy Valley Cake Co., which was named after Candivoli, your neighborhood in Mumbai. That's right. Very few people like your husband saw that. Like, that sounds like Candy it's Valley. Like Candy Valley. But he couldn't pronounce it correctly, so he would always say Candy Valley, Candy Valley. I'm like, you mean Candivoli? Candivoli. Yeah. And now the, uh, the, the, the new and exclusive Bombay Street Food with Key & Co., which is debuting its pop-up this week, the first week of August. I cannot thank you enough for coming on. No, thank you for, for having me. And congrats me. on your journey. Thank you. Full disclosure, our engineer is John Valentine. Enjoy this broadcast on NPR member station VPM News 88.9, on the NPR One app, and on iTunes at link foldradio.com. Pop it up at you. I'm Robin Farzad. Back with you next week. <laughs>